The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the ninth and 10th chapters. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we have talked about this um, here before, but at St. Philip the Deacon, we follow an appointed set of readings for worship, the same set of readings which are used in many other Christian traditions. And by the way, thank you uh, today to Catherine and Jim for reading those. We've been um, inviting members of the congregation to read these the last few weeks, which I think has been a wonderful practice. Um, Jim, if you're watching, you are in our prayers. Jim has had uh, a repeat knee surgery, uh, replacement surgery. It's been a long year for him and for Susan and their family. So you are in our prayers, Jim, and we hope you're recovering. Um, anyway, this practice of uh, following an appointed set of readings accomplishes a number of things. It unites us to other Christians around the world. It allows us to read through the majority, anyway, of the Bible over the course of three years. Uh, it means we can't avoid uh, difficult or challenging passages, and it also prevents someone like me from only cherry-picking the passages that are most favorite to, my, uh, to me uh, every time I get to preach. It's a good, healthy, and meaningful uh, practice. And it turns out also to be an important way to recognize and realize that the Holy Spirit really is alive and well, because more often than not, something in one of the readings uh, that's assigned ends up being particularly relevant um, and timely. And today, as it happens, is one of those times. Uh, the passage that struck me this week was from the psalm we heard read. Uh, it's a short psalm. It's Psalm 100, and I'd like to read it in its entirety again. Here's what it says. Make a joyful noise 
to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. As I was reading that this week, the phrases that leapt off of the page from Psalm 100 were these, come into his presence with singing and enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Because of course, right now, we are unable to do that. Like many churches, and as we announced this past week, we are continuing our, pra our practice of live stream only worship for a bit at least. But honestly, even if we had decided to return to in-person services right away, we would not have been able to accommodate everyone who would want to join us here in this space. And so the words of the Psalms, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, end up being difficult and challenging and complicated at this moment, at least if by gates and courts you mean the sanctuary of a church. I want to say more about this, but to get there, I'd actually like to talk about another reason uh, that Psalm 100 is important to me on a more personal level, and that's because Psalm 100 was a reading for my wedding service. Uh, the psalm was, in fact, the very first thing spoken during that service uh, from the back of the sanctuary just as the service was beginning. It was a way to mark the start of the service of saying, we've entered into the gates of the Lord and now something important, something significant, something meaningful is going to happen. Uh, Amy and I celebrated our 28th anniversary of that service two weeks ago yesterday. And so our anniversary and this psalm and the strange and unusual year of 2020 got me thinking about something I've never, I don't think, preached about, uh, but I hope is relevant and related to the situation we find ourselves in right now. So again, back up to May of 1992, our wedding day, May 30th. Uh, Amy and I were the same as every young couple. We had lots of hopes and lots of dreams, but I'm not sure they were entirely clear. We couldn't see fully into the future. Uh, so we had hopes and dreams about work, about grad school, and eventually about starting a family. As we began our life together, the grad school and career dreams started to take shape. And then our family started growing. Five and a half years after our wedding, uh, our first son Luke was born. Two years later, our second son, Sam, was born. And then two years after that, Sarah, our third child and our only daughter, was born. Andrew, our fourth, was born a few years after that. Uh, Luke, Sam, and Andrew, if you are listening this morning, uh, this isn't really about you. Uh, other than to the degree you have each been wonderful, loving, and caring brothers to Sarah. I say that because, as many of you know, Sarah has profound special needs. She is almost certainly listening right now, and she definitely knows I'm talking about her. Hello, Sarah. I always ask my children for permission if I'm going to mention them in a sermon, and when I asked her yesterday for that permission, she gave me a little shake of her hand that means yes. Sometimes she mumbles, but it was clear. Uh, Sarah, you see, can't speak. She doesn't have words. Uh, she has profound profoundly limited cognitive abilities, but she is also, as those of you who have gotten to know her uh, know very well, a little ray of sunshine. She doesn't have a mean bone in her body, 
And she, she loves everyone. She also loves this place. She's been here in worship many times with me on Saturday night, and I could tell you all kinds of funny stories about how she's behaved. I think we actually, and Darren, here's your cue, have a few photos of her here. Um, there is, to begin with, a shot of her learning to walk as a little girl with a walker. She didn't learn to walk like normal children. Um, there are also a couple of shots with her, of her with Pastor Matheson. Sarah, despite the fact that she cannot speak, somehow has communicated to Cheryl that uh, when she sees her on Saturday night worship, uh, Sarah also feels like she should have a clerical collar uh, and a lanyard and a worship binder. So that has become their practice. I, I have many pictures of this happening. The ones we are showing from today are from a while ago and from more recently. Um, and then there's also a final uh, image of Sarah uh, from one of her senior pictures. She uh, graduated, I'm using that word in quotes, uh, from Wyzetta High School just this spring. Now, again, Sarah is listening, so I need to be a little careful here. But I mentioned earlier that when Amy and I were married, we had hopes and dreams for our life together. And I can assure you that none of those included raising a daughter with profound special needs. That is not a complaint, it's just a fact. The thought of having a child with special needs simply wasn't on our radar. Now, today, in 2020, 18 plus years after Sarah was born, of course, Amy and I both love her to pieces. And of course, we can't imagine life without her. And of course, we would do anything for her. But it wasn't how we drew our life up. It wasn't how we imagined it. And so when she was diagnosed at about a year old, we grieved for many years probably. Maybe we still are, I'm not sure. Without any question though, Sarah's arrival meant that our hopes and our dreams for the future were forever changed. What didn't change though was the fact that we were and we are a family, that we love our sons and we love our daughter, that like every family we have tried our best, responded and reacted and adjusted and pivoted as we learned more about Sarah over the last 18 years. I am sure we have made plenty of mistakes along the way, but I'm also absolutely, totally sure of this. Sarah has changed us. Even though we might not have planned for or expected a child like Sarah, Sarah has profoundly influenced who Amy and I and our three sons have become. We are different people because of her. And I would go even further, and I don't say this in the least bit as a boast, but simply because I believe it to be true. Sarah has not only changed us, hmm, she has made us each a better person. I cannot imagine our life without her, even though she wasn't what we were expecting. And I'm grateful to her for everything she has taught me and everything she continues to teach me. Which brings me to this. I believe, strange as it may sound, that Sarah can actually teach us a few things during this time of pandemic. First, just as Amy and I were not expecting a child with special needs, so none of us were expecting a pandemic this year. Suspending in-person activities was not part of the long-range plan for 2020, I can assure you. None of us were expecting it, and it isn't anyone's fault. 
Second, because this has all been so unexpected and has impacted our lives in such profound ways, there are all kinds of things that all of us are grieving this year. And there isn't a quick fix to grief. We need to be honest about that and stay in community with one another to support one another during this grief. We need to be patient with ourselves and with others and acknowledge the real pain and heartache and loss that we have experienced this year. If we aren't honest about this, then the grief we're experiencing will come out sideways in less healthy and less productive ways. The most helpful thing anyone said to me and Amy as we grieved a future that would be totally and radically different than we expected was simply, I'm so sorry. When people tried to explain it away or diminish it or act like it wasn't all that bad, that wasn't helpful for us with Sarah and it isn't helpful with the grief we're experiencing this year. This year has been hard and it's okay to admit that. Third, in the midst of the challenges and confusion of this unexpected year filled with sadness and grief, we are, all of us, simply doing our best. And perhaps we will make some mistakes along the way, as Amy and I have with Sarah. But just as Amy and I have always tried to act out of love when it comes to decisions about our children, here at St. Philip the Deacon, we're also prioritizing love for our neighbor right now. Maybe in the months ahead, we'll think, eh, perhaps we could have done that better or differently. What I'm confident we'll never have to question, though, is the motivation behind our decisions, what informed our decisions, what our intent was for those decisions, namely to act out of love for our neighbor. Finally, in the midst of it all, we are still family. As I mentioned, the life that Amy and I have with Sarah isn't necessarily the life we expected, but it doesn't change the fact that we still do the things families do. They just look a little different because of who Sarah is. And this year, and I cannot stress this point strongly enough, we are still doing what the church does. We have never stopped doing it. How we're doing it just looks a little different right now. And that's okay. Maybe, as Amy and I have discovered with Sarah, the unexpected things we are all living through right now will even help to change us and transform us and make us better prepared to share God's love tomorrow and in the future. So, it has been an unexpected year filled with grief during which we are trying to do our best and doing the work of the church in new and different ways. Which brings us back to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is actually called a psalm of thanksgiving, which, given everything I just said, may seem like a strange psalm for today. It may not be how we're feeling right now, but perhaps it would be a good practice to reflect on what we have to be thankful for, even during this strange and unusual year. For my part, I'm thankful that my beautiful daughter, Sarah, has so much to teach us all. I'm thankful that I'm privileged to be a part of this wonderful community called St. Philip the Deacon. I'm thankful that during this pandemic, God invites us to exercise our Christian muscles of sacrificial love. I'm thankful that we have the opportunity right now to reflect deeply about how God challenges us to see all our brothers and sisters as equals. And I'm thankful that this same God who calls us each by name and wants us to know how much he loves us also thinks highly enough of us to give us a part in making the world a better place. 
So let us today, as Psalm 100 says, give thanks to God and bless his name. For the Lord is indeed good. His steadfast love does endure forever. And his faithfulness lasts to all generations. Amen.